to uh, put your finger in Mark chapter 10 and then put your one of the other nine fingers, put it in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to continue our series this morning looking at uh, the biblical concept of stewardship. We've titled this series, Living with Palms Up. Because that's really what stewardship is. It's us living in light of who our creator is. Living in light of one who is greater than ourselves. Living in in light of worship. We're, We're living every aspect of our life in worship to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we've talked about uh, what stewardship is grounded in and the fact that Jesus is my God, he's my Lord, and he's my Savior. Last week we kind of morphed that out a little bit, fleshed it out, and, and looked at the idea of when we catch a full glimpse of the glory and the grace of Jesus, it changes the way we live. Now this morning I want to move a step further and talk about how it changes the way I serve. And so on, just to take you back a little history lesson, on April 3rd of 1860, a historic, today we would say a historic uh, engineering or pioneering type of venue started, and that was the Pony Express. It set out, it sent out its first rider April 3rd of 1860. This was a private company. This was not some sort of federal organization like the Postal Service. This was a private company that carried mail from St. Joseph, Missouri, all the way to the West Coast there at Sacramento, California. And they did it by an organized uh, relay of horseback riders. And so a rider would ride from one place to another place, and another rider would take it from that point to the next point. And, and so this service was, was monumental and revolutionary in its day. It was a costly, experience, or costly endeavor as well. In fact, if you wanted to send a piece of mail from St. Joseph to Sacramento, California, it was pretty expensive in its time. It would cost you $2.50 per ounce. And if we were to transform that over into today's um, economy, it would be very, very expensive. And yet it was a widely used and, and engineering type of endeavor. Um, the cost was great, but if the weather held out and the horses held out and the Indians held off, that letter could go from St. Joseph, Missouri, all the way to Sacramento, California in just 10 days. Pony Express was pretty, pretty monumental, pretty... Uh, um, pushing the envelope as far as moving technology and things, and yet it only existed for about 17 months. You see, the telegraph was also being developed during that same time, and so when a telegraph line would be completed from one city or one town to the next town, the Pony Express was no longer needed. And so the Pony Express had a short life, yet the life of a Pony Express rider during those 17 months was short, it was tough, but it was also adventurous. That rider was expected to ride 75 to 100 miles a day. He would change horses every 15 to 25 miles. Other than the mail, the only baggage that a Pony Express rider carried with him was a, short, was a small uh, pouch of food and a small medical kit. In order to keep himself light so he could travel fast, uh, he didn't carry anything else but those two things. And he didn't even carry or have on himself uh, a lot of clothing. They were just shirt sleeve. Uh, garments. They didn't carry big overcoats or anything like that. So even in the winter, all they were clothed with was a long sleeve shirt. And so this was not only a, a, a difficult job from that standpoint, it was also a dangerous job as the ad that we could go back in history and find from the San Francisco paper made clear. In 1860, the ad read this, wanted young, skinny, wiry fellows, not over 18. Must be expert riders willing to risk daily, and listen to this, orphans preferred. You see, they might not make it from St. Joseph to Sacramento. It was a dangerous, it was a tough job, and yet despite all of that, the Pony Express never had a shortage of riders. You see, the young men signed up with images of excitement and camaraderie and and the thrill of adventure swirling around in their heads. And yet few of them envisioned that the excitement would only occasionally punctuate the routine of the long, hard, arduous, and lonely hours of being in the saddle. When we think about service this morning, I think it's very similar to a Pony Express rider. It can have the appearance of glamour, but it's often better described as monotony. 
Now, I'm not saying this morning, and I'm not going to say this morning, that the summons of our Lord to service is not the most spiritually grand and noble way of, to live our life because it is. I mean, God calls us to serve. He calls all of us to serve in his kingdom and in his church. But I'm saying that the call is typically as pedestrian as washing someone's feet. I want you to take a look at the screen. Richard Foster had a statement that I believe correctly describes what I'm talking about here. He said, in some ways, we would prefer to hear Jesus' call to deny father and mother, to deny houses and land for the sake of the gospel, than his word to wash feet. Radical self-denial gives the feel of adventure. If we forsake all, we even have the chance of martyrdom. But in service, we are banished to the mundane, the ordinary, the trivial. I believe Richard Foster is correct. And if you serve in our church, there's many times you feel like that. You wish that the Lord would call you perhaps to do something a little bit more adventurous rather than sitting in the nursery on a Sunday morning and changing my child's dirty diaper. That's nothing exciting about that. That's why I don't do it when I'm here. I let you people do it for me. You see, <laughs> you see the ministry of serving... It may be as public as preaching and teaching, but more often it will be sequestered to the nursery and being on nursery duty. It may be as visible as singing a solo, but usually it will be as unnoticed as operating the sound equipment. The only time you notice the sound people is when, when it doesn't work right. Last week we had a projector out. Everybody probably was fixated upon the right projector. This morning, Lord willing, it is going to carry us through. Serving may be as appreciated as a good testimony in a worship service, but typically it's as thankless as washing dishes after a church social. Most service, even that which seems the most glamorous, is like an iceberg. Only the Lord sees what's really under the surface. Everyone else just kind of sees the tip top of it. But the Lord sees it all. He sees all the preparation. I mean, think about you small group leaders. How much time do you put in to your small group lesson? How much time do you put in during the week calling and following up with the people that are in your small group? How many times are you called out to go to the hospital or, or whatever it may be? The people don't see that glamorous part of it. They just see what's happening on Sunday morning. But the Lord sees it all. And so our service takes all sorts of shapes not even just in the church on a Sunday. Sometimes it's babysitting for neighbors. Sometimes it's taking meals to families whose lives are in flux. Sometimes it's running errands for the homebound. Other times it's found in, in you providing transportation for someone whose vehicle has broken down. Maybe it's you going over and feeding pets and watering plants for those who are on vacation. and You're just simply serving out of a heart of love, a heart of gratitude, a, a heart that loves Jesus, and so you want to serve others. But you know, the most difficult aspect of serving is often what we do at our own home, serving our own families, right? You see, serving is as commonplace as the practical needs that it seeks to meet. And so, as a Christ follower, why do we serve? What is it that leads us to get out of our comfort zone and to go do something that we perhaps really don't want to do at times? I mean, I understand some of you enjoy Changing dirty diapers. You're, you're warped. There's something wrong with you. I, I get that. But the most, most of us, majority of us, don't think that's fun. But you do it anyway, and you do it with a smile. You do it with a glad heart. You do it because you're serving someone else. So why do we serve? What's behind all of that? Well, the answer is found in the very question. As a Christ follower, what motivates us to serve? It's because we are Christ followers. We're just simply imitating the life and the ministry and the heart of our Savior. If you got a Bible and you got your finger there in Mark chapter 10, we're going to see the heart and the ministry of the Lord Jesus. In fact, both in Matthew chapter 20 and in Mark 10, we see the same story told from two different gospel writers. There in these two chapters, in these two passages, that we find this story of the sons of Zebedee, James and John, coming to Jesus along with their mother. And they come to Jesus and they asked Jesus to do for them something pretty radical. They said, Jesus, we want you, when you're in your kingdom, to allow us, to appoint us, to sit on your right and on your left. 
they were longing or looking for and desiring a lofty position of leadership in the kingdom. Now, I'm not sure what their intentions were. We could try to read through the lines and, and try to understand or at least make a judgment call there. I don't know their intentions. Uh, I want to believe that they were noble. I want to believe that they were not self-seeking. But nevertheless, Jesus used this request as an opportunity to teach his disciples and to teach us today how greatness is measured in the kingdom of God. And so look with me, Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 42. So Jesus calls the disciples together and he says to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus' point was that the proper perspective is to put others first and really to not even consider yourselves. You see, when Jesus went to the cross and he served us by taking our sins upon his own body and shed his own blood for the forgiveness of our sin. He was not there to serve himself. He was not there to, to think of himself. He was there to serve you and to serve me and to think of us first. Jesus here, the King of kings, says that I came not to be served. I came to serve. John the Baptist understood this. You know, John the Baptist is the cousin of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he had this grand ministry. He was the forerunner of the Messiah. And people were flocking to his preaching and his teaching as he stood there on the Jordan River and baptized and called people to repentance. But as Jesus began his ministry, the people began to leave John and they began to be attracted to Jesus. And one day, John's disciples began to ask John about this. John, how does it make you feel to see that you no longer have the crowd that you once had? To no longer see that, that people are coming to you, but now they're going to Jesus. John, how does that make you feel? And John made a grand statement in John chapter 3, verse 30. He said, he must increase, but I must decrease. You see, John understood it's not about him, it's about Jesus. He's simply here as a servant to do the work of Jesus as a servant of the Lord Jesus. John knew that his ministry and his service was not about himself. It was about the Lord. So he served because of the work of Jesus that had been done in his life. Therefore, he desired to put the spotlight on Christ rather than on his own service. Likewise, the Apostle Paul was convinced that when you're confronted with the glory and when you come face to face with the grace of the Lord Jesus, that it changes the way you live. And as we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we also see that he was convinced that not only does it change the way you live, but it fleshes itself out in the way you serve. See, when you come into the, 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 the presence of the glory and the grace of Jesus, it will change your perspective on how you serve. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, flip over there if you will. Let me set up what's taking place in this passage of scripture. Paul here in this chapter is defending his right as an apostle to receive support from the church. There in the early part of the chapter, he's asking the question, do I not have a right to, 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 to materially or financially be supported by the ministry? I mean, other apostles are supported this way. Do I not have the right to take a wife and have children and, and enjoy all the other things that you enjoy as a, as a church and the other apostles are enjoying? Do I not have that right? And in so defending or arguing for his right, he also defends his right to give up his privileges in service of all. So we know that the Corinthian church had all sorts of problems. And one of their quandaries was a misunderstanding and a misuse of spiritual gifts. They exercised the gifts as they were given for the building up of themselves rather than for the service and the help of others. And so the Corinthians were fixated upon themselves. They served themselves rather than serving others. And Paul, in defending his right as an apostle, is teaching them that as a Christian, we should not be focused upon ourselves, but instead we should be focused upon serving the Lord, and when we serve the Lord, we serve others. Paul here used the testimony of his own life to show the Corinthians that when Jesus changes your life, he changes the way you serve. So look with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in verse 15. Paul says, But I have made no use of any of these rights, 
nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive, of, deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own, own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in preaching I may present the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew, in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with him in his blessings. Lord Jesus, I pray that you take the teachings of these two passages this morning and sear upon our hearts a biblical understanding of the stewardship that you've given us. Lord, that we are called as Christ followers to serve others in the name of Jesus and to do it selflessly and to do it humbly, all for the sake of making much of your great name. So Lord, put your words in my heart, put your words in my mouth, and may your word bear fruit this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were here on Wednesday night, I touched on the latter part of chapter 9, verses 24 through 27, and uh, hopefully whet some of y'all's appetites about service, about serving the Lord. And, and Wednesday night, I made a statement that when you look at the word, the concept of worship and the concept of service in the Bible, Old and New Testament, you see that they're very, very similar. They're connected in many ways. In fact, the Greek word, latruo, is used interchangeably to describe worship and service in the New Testament. It really depends on the context of what's being talked about, whether they translate it as worship or they translate it as service. So we know, looking back at creation, look at the teaching of Scripture, that in reality, all humans were created to be worshipers. That's why God created you, and that's why he created me. We're created to worship. And so we will either worship the God who created us for himself, or we will worship something else. And many times, that something else is ourselves. We also know that we were created to serve. God created us to worship, and God created us to serve. We're to worship the Lord, and we're to serve the Lord. And so we will serve something. We will either serve the God who created us to serve Him, or we will serve something else, or we will serve ourselves. And so we are created as worshipers. We're created to be servants. When you think about worship and you try to understand it, there's not a clear, clearly defined mode of worship. You know, there in the Old Testament, the Jews were prescribed a certain aspect of worship, certain rituals, certain ceremonies, certain sacrifices. Really, all of that pointed to what Jesus was going to do ultimately for us on the cross. And so we don't live by those ceremonies and rituals and feasts and all of those things today. We live in a new covenant. And so there's not this clearly defined worship. That's why today you can drive all around the county of Powhatan and you will find different styles, if you will, of worship. We have more liturgical churches. You've got more um, uh, seeker-friendly churches. It's really laid back and, and, and contemporary, if you will. I mean, there's all kinds, all modes, all uh, ways to worship the Lord. But when we consider how these terms are used in the Scriptures, we learn that worship is not confined only to praise. That's why I believe in the baptistry. I made a statement when I was... Uh, praying earlier that uh, we will celebrate the Lord through song, we're going to celebrate the Lord through the preaching of the word, we're going to celebrate the Lord through our giving, we're going to celebrate the Lord through our serving, and we even celebrated the Lord through baptism today. This is, it's not defined or, or confined merely to praising the Lord through song, through, through singing. 
Our worship also involves the deeds that are done in acknowledgement of God's attributes. So, going back to that question, why do we serve as Christ followers? It's because we understand the great attributes of God, His holiness, His greatness, His justice, His faithfulness, His goodness, His truthfulness. Thus, we are compelled to serve the Lord. We want to make much of His great name. And so, what we're doing is we're declaring that Jesus is worthy of our service. We're declaring his worthship. So when we dare to worship him, when we dare to serve him, we dare not neglect serving him in the church. Serving is just, just as important in our spiritual development, our spiritual journey, as reading your Bible. And Wednesday night I gave uh, the folks in our prayer time, our devotion time, some practical ways to, to develop a stronger and more disciplined spiritual life. And that is to read your Bible and have a consistent plan for doing that. To pray and have a consistent plan. To find a place to serve. All of these things are important. So service comes right alongside your Bible intake, comes right alongside your time that you spend with the Lord in prayer, comes right alongside all the other attributes of your spiritual disciplines. But service should not be Neglected. It should not be uh, marginalized for the spiritual elite or the ones who we think are better suited for that. No, it's for every single person who knows Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It is a vital component to your discipleship. Therefore, when confronted with the glory and the grace of Jesus, it changes the way you serve. And I want to share with you as quickly as I can three ways that it does so. And let me just say thanks to, uh, to Nick and our worship team for giving me a little extra time to preach this morning. Always good to have that. <laughs> well, that was, you're not getting a bonus this week. That was your bonus right there. First way that we see that it changes is when I understand the glory and the grace of Jesus and I'm confronted with that, I set aside my rights. That's what Paul's going to lay out before us here in verse 15. I set aside my rights. Look at he says, but I have made no use of any of these rights. Now, what's going on here? And who is this guy that's talking? Paul is writing this letter to the church in Corinth. And Paul is an apostle. He's a man who, who had a vision from the Lord Jesus. He's been called to ministry. He's a church planner. He's a theologian. He is a solid rock leader a pillar in the church of Jesus Christ. He was an apostle. And the position and the authority that Jesus had given Paul gave him the right to demand and to require certain things from the church. That's what he's defending there in the early part of this chapter. Paul, <coughs> Paul however, made no use of those rights. You see, like the Lord Jesus... He surrendered his rights. He didn't come before the church and demand things. It wasn't like he, before he stepped up to preach uh, there at the local synagogue or there in the local house church, he was back in the green room and he had this list of things, a list of demands that they must meet for him to come out to the platform and to preach and teach. That was not the Apostle Paul at all. The Apostle Paul was selfless. The Apostle Paul was a servant. And he surrendered his rights for the sake of Christ and the sake of the mission of Christ. Going back to Mark chapter 10, we see that Jesus set aside his right to be served. I mean, Jesus makes the statement, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. Who is this Jesus that's making the statement? He's the King of Kings. If there's anyone who's ever existed that had the, the, uh, the sovereign right to make demands upon humanity, it was the Lord Jesus Christ. But as he came as a humble servant... He served rather than required service. Paul, too, set aside his rights. There was no sense of entitlement in the Apostle Paul's life or ministry. He was not concerned about things always being to his liking and to his preference. He didn't expect anyone to serve him. Likewise, he, we, too, must set aside our rights. We must eradicate, eradicate any sense of entitlement that we have or that we think we're, we're privy to. Instead, we must make our service not about me, but about others. Not about you, but about others. You see, when you gather with the church, this morning as you came in, when you together with the church collectively, to worship here with the church, did you come to be served or did you come to serve? That's a tough question. I, I want you to wrestle with that question this morning. 
Because this morning, have you come to be served? You're kind of, in other words, are you sitting back in the pew saying, boy, I hope this music's to my liking this morning. Boy, I hope this, this singing's good. I hope the, the, the pastor says something good. I hope he has a good message for us. I want to be blessed. Or did you come with the idea and the mindset of, I'm not here to be, to be served. I'm here to serve. I'm here to bless someone else. I'm here to encourage someone else. I'm here to, to strengthen someone else. I'm not here as a spectator. I'm here as a participant. I'm all in. I'm on the field. I'm not in the grandstand. I'm in in the game, and I want to be used for the glory of Jesus Christ. Paul set aside his rights. There's a second way that we see that it changes the way you serve, and that is, I give myself for the sake of others. Look at verse 19. Paul says, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. I'm free from all, but I've made myself a servant to all, that I might win more people to the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the fact that Jesus had sacrificed himself for Paul was something that this apostle never got over. You read in the New Testament, in his writings, Paul making statements like this, that he's the chief of sinners. You see him lamenting the fact that he was once a persecutor of the church. He was once the one dragging Christians out of their house churches and and bringing them before the, the court systems and stoning them to death. The Apostle Paul was present when Stephen was stoned in Acts chapter 7. I believe it so revolutionized his life that though he experienced grace, though he knew he was forgiven, he never forgot who he was. Therefore, he never forgot the grace of Jesus that changed him from Saul of Tarsus to the Apostle Paul. So he was compelled to serve. If I'm not careful, and I think you're probably much like me, my service can come, it can become all about me. And your service can become all about you. Anytime we're serving to have the pat on the back, anytime we're singing so that people will stand up and say, man, great song, wonderful, woo, you did such a great job. Anytime we're doing it for ourselves, we need to be careful. The ministry of Paul was never about Paul. It was always about others hearing the gospel, coming into relationship with Jesus, and growing into a mature follower of Christ. See, Paul gave himself for the sake of others. It was never about him. It was always about someone else. He spent himself for the sake of others. Paul was a bivocational church planner. Paul would make tents During the day, he would spend long hours as a tent maker working in that difficult trade. And and then he would spend himself in the evenings and on the weekends preaching and teaching and discipling and and, and evangelizing and and doing all the things that are required to be a church planner and a Christian and a preacher and a theologian. He spent himself serving the Lord Jesus and serving his church. So in your service... Are you giving yourself away for the sake of others? I mean, think about it. Are you serving to give yourself away for the sake of others? Or are you even serving at all? You see, we got a lot of people, like every church, we got a lot of people that just sit on the sideline. I, I think I said something to the effect of last Sunday that if you're just setting what you're doing is you're soaking and eventually you will sour. And the reason you got such sour looks on your face at times is because you're not serving in any capacity whatsoever. And so if you want to grow in your spiritual life, you want to boost in your spiritual journey, pick yourself up off the pew and go do something. I should have got an amen right there. I've been in church work a long time, and I've heard this too many times over the years. I put my time in, Pastor. I put my time in. I served the nursery for 25 years. I put my time in there. I, I was a teacher. I, I taught Sunday school. I, I was a small group leader. I did that for two or three years. I, I served my time. I didn't know this was the U.S. military where you can kind of serve your four years, get out and, and enjoy the benefits from there and a, there, there on after. I, I didn't realize that there was a c- concept of the Bible of retirement from spiritual service. I I didn't realize that God allows you to serve for a certain period of time and and then afterwards you're kind of free to do what you want and and travel as much as you want and and really just kind of show up and participate. I didn't know there was a time in in the church where you could kind of be on the field for a certain amount of time but afterwards you could stand in the set in the stands and kind of dictate from above what should be happening and yet you got no skin in the game. I didn't realize that was in the Bible. 
Truth is, it's not in the Bible. Now, there may be a concept of retirement in our culture from work, and praise the Lord from that, because there just comes a point where you just kind of wear out. But that's not the concept in the church. God never called us to serve for a certain period of time and then kind of just sit on our haunches and take it easy from then on out and let someone else do it. No, the truth is we all have to pull ourselves up and get off our pews and go do something for the sake of the Lord. It takes all of us. I mean, some of you, you want to have a phenomenal worship team, but you won't step up here and sing on the platform. And I tell you all the time, we don't really care if you can sing. If you can be happy and smile and act like you're having a good time, we can mask your horrible voice. Because if I was singing, it would be horrible. I hope I didn't discourage anybody from singing. Boy, they think I'm horrible. No, I'm just trying to be funny about that. But seriously, some people just will fuss. Boy, I wish it was better. I wish we could do this but more professional and that more professional. Hey, a need seen is an assignment given. I'll tell you that every time you bring something to me. Uh, I mean... We're starting Trail Life in AHG because some people came to me and said, Pastor, we really think this would be a good thing for our church. And I believe I looked at them probably and said something like this. All right, if you think it's what we should do, let's pray through it. But you need to be committed to lead it for a period of time. Because don't bring me your ideas and don't bring me your projects and expect me to pick it up and run with it with the same sort of passion that you have. Because the Lord didn't place it in my heart first. He placed it in your heart first. He saw, He gave you the need. He didn't give me the need. And so if you bring the need, be willing to carry the burden for that need. We need to serve. We need to do it for the sake of others and not for the sake of ourselves. So we need to pick ourselves up and do it. There's no such thing as spiritual retirement. I mean, God's called us to serve until our final breath. As long as there's strength in your bones and breath in your lungs, you can serve the Lord in one way or the other. And it may be as simple as praying. You say, well, that's not much work at all. That is the work. That is the work. And we need more people praying. Wednesday nights is going to be so much more focused on prayer than perhaps it's been in years because we need to be a praying church. So if you're coming on Wednesday nights and you're not in choir or uh, something like the men's class or something, we're going to have a short time of devotion, but we're going to spend the bulk of our time praying for our church, but not just for our church, for what God's doing all around the world, all around our country, and all around our community. Paul, he understood that service doesn't end until the whistle's blown at the final part of your life. Paul, many of his letters, if you know church history at all, he wrote them while chained to a Roman soldier. Book of Philippians is one of those. And he says, consider it all joy, my brethren. Paul didn't give up. He didn't say, man, I put my time in. It was a good run. It was a good run. I had many years. I, I planted a lot of churches. I discipled a lot of people. But now my time is over, and I'm going to sell off in the sunset. I'm going to play golf. I'm going to spend my days on the lake. I'm going to go to the bay. I'm going to vacation. I'm going to take my camper all around the world. I'm not harping on those things because they're good things, but they should, not, uh, they should not consume your life because there's no concept of retirement. God's called us to serve Him, and when we serve Him, we serve others. But why do we do it? He goes on to tell us in verse 23 that he serves for the sake of for the, excuse me for the sake of the gospel. So for us, for me, I serve others not for my sake, but for the sake of the gospel. Verse 23, I do it all for the sake of the gospel. I do it all for the sake of the gospel. This was Paul's motivation for service. And the same is true for you and me. The number one motivation for you to serve faithfully is the gospel. It's the only thing that will continue to energize you, to, to help you to get up in the morning. And if you're a teacher, you understand this, right? Sunday is always coming. I mean, I'll preach, I'm preaching right now, and I'll go home this afternoon, and I'm immediately thinking about next Sunday. In fact, I've been thinking about it for weeks on end. But it never ends. It's like it's crazy cycle. There's always Sunday coming. And I've always got to prepare for the next time that I teach, the next time I preach, the next time I do this and that and that. It's, it's monotony. It's, 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 it'll drive you nuts. Let's just put it that. I don't know how a better way to put it than that. It will drive you nuts because it never ends. Never ends. So what motivates you to continue to do it? What motivates you to get up on a Monday morning to begin to read and prepare your heart and your mind for the next Sunday? It's the gospel. 
It's the only thing that will motivate you. You see, sometimes we think of service and we're motivated to serve out of pity. We look at the conditions that people are living in or the conditions that we see around us and we say, all right, we got to go do something. And we do it out of pity. But what happens? Our pity begins to be weaker and weaker. It, it, it runs out. And so we won't serve long from a, from a concept or a heart of pity. We won't serve long from guilt. I mean, there are times when we see the needs of others and we realize, man, I'm not doing anything to help people out. I'm not doing anything in the church. And, and so we, we serve from a, from a heart of guilt. And sort of maybe you feel guilty because I just told you that you're, you sit on the sidelines. You're not doing anything. My, my goal this morning is not to make you feel guilty. My goal this morning is to help you understand that you need to get in the game and not do it from guilt or not do it from pity, but to do it from a sense of, I understand that I'm a part of what God is doing, and I'm a part of this gospel work, and so my little part that I play is a part of all that God is doing in the life of someone and in the life of a group of people, and I'm excited about that, and I'm going to charge on because it's about the gospel. You won't serve long for pity. You won't serve long from guilt. You won't serve long because it makes you feel good. Because when you serve people, it makes you feel good. I'll be honest, and this may be a little vulnerable for me. I don't necessarily enjoy going to hospital visits and funerals. And, and I mean, who likes to go sitting in a hospital with somebody when they're, I mean, suffering and, and hurting and agonizing? Who likes to go sit with somebody when they've lost a loved one? No one likes to do that. You do it because you should do it. You do it because you want to help someone else. So it's not my nature to go do that. But when I leave someone's house, I feel better. I'm like, I'm glad I came. But be honest, sometimes when I'm going there, I'm thinking, man, I'd rather be on the lake fishing right now. Let's just be honest, right? Am I the only crazy person that has those thoughts? Probably, but maybe there's a couple like me. But when you leave and you do what you know you should do, it makes you feel better. Makes you feel good about yourself because you did what you're supposed to do. But you won't serve long from that type of feeling. It will run out. You won't serve long from the praise that you get from other people. I mean, the slap on the back, the per person like, I've, man, I've heard this many, many times. Pastor, is the best sermon I heard in my life. You apparently only heard one sermon in your whole life. <laughs> I mean, I've had people tell me that, and I thought it was the worst sermon a person could ever have preached. Uh, definitely the worst sermon I've ever preached. And I'm thinking, do your ears even work? But they'll slap you and be like, Pastor, that was a great sermon. Man, that was a great song. You did a great solo. I mean, you ought to be on a radio. And you walk out of there, you feel like you're strutting. You're just you're pulling your, man, I'm awesome. I'm wonderful. But after a while, that begins to wane because people get used to you. You won't serve long from how it makes you feel. You won't serve long from the praise you receive from others. You won't serve long from this uh, idea and this heart to, to see social change in our community or whatever it may be. You won't serve long from those areas. We serve not for those reasons. We serve for one reason, and that's the gospel. We serve because Jesus has apprehended us. Therefore, we want to see Jesus apprehend others. Amen? We serve because it's the work of the gospel. So everything that we do in service within the church, we do for the sake of the gospel. Think about what this looks like. We, are, we have many different areas that you can serve in and they all work for the same common goal to see the gospel built into the lives of people so this morning if you serve in our parking lot gr greeting ministry as one of our hospitality team members and you're out there and it's hot in the dog days of summer and, and you're sweating to death and, and, and you I mean it's just you just wonder sometimes what does this serve what purpose does this serve it's it's important because as a person drives onto our campus first impressions are a big deal and so when you're out there with a smiling face and, and you're welcoming them with a warm handshake and you're encouraging them to come in and you're helping them find the door they need to find and to figure out where to take their children, when you're helping them to carry out all those details that they don't know anything about, that's one part of the gospel being built into the life of that family. When you're at the welcome tent and you're serving a drink, a cold drink, a hot drink, whatever it is, and, and you're helping them to, to, to get checked in and do all the things that you do at the welcome tent, you're one part of the gospel being built into the lives of people. When you sing in our choir and you help us in our worship team to, to, to bring our worship to a better a, a level and a more professional level, but more important than that, just leading the church to the throne room of heaven, you're one part of the gospel being built in someone's life. 
When you're a musician, and let me say we need musicians in our worship team. We need people who can play the guitar and play the bass and play the drums and, and whatever instrument. If you can play the kazoo and make it sound good, we need you up here. I had a guy on a train in Grand Canyon a few months ago playing the kazoo. Wasn't half bad. A little odd, but it wasn't half bad. When you help in our worship team, you help play a part in the gospel being built. So it doesn't matter if you think you've only played one genre, or, and it's not the genre we typically play on a Sunday morning. Man, you can play, you can play, right? If you can play a musical instrument, you can play, you should be able to play anything. And so we need you to help, and we need you to help build the gospel in the lives of people. When you're serving as a small group leader, you're there as a, as a mini shepherd, a, a micro shepherd in the life of our church. You're, you're shepherding people. You're building the word of God into people. You're an important aspect, important uh, a spoke in the wheel of the gospel in our church. When you're serving in kids' church, when you're serving on the kitchen team, when you're on the finance committee, or whatever it is in the life of our church, you are helping to build the gospel into the lives of people. So we serve because we desire to see the gospel change people's lives. We serve because each area of our ministry labors together in the work of the gospel. It's all for the sake of the gospel. So this morning, what's your motivation? As you get ready, as you got ready to come to church this morning, what was your motivation? Did you come to be served or did you come to serve? Were you hopeful that the music would be to your liking and the songs that we sing would be maybe a little bit more along the lines of your preference? Did you hope this morning as you curled your hair that the preacher would have a good message and that he actually spent time in the study this week? I, just, I spend time in the study every week, a lot of time in the study. But I don't preach to, to make you feel good or give you a warm, fuzzy feeling. I preach to build the gospel into people. This morning as you're getting ready, were you looking forward to being blessed in your small group time? Now, there's nothing wrong with any of those things that I just kind of laid out there. However, we shouldn't focus. We shouldn't be focused on those things because they're not the focus of Jesus. I mean, he says, I came not to be served. I came to serve. They're not the focus of Paul. He says, I, I haven't used any of my rights. I, I'm, I'm giving myself so that others can come to the gospel. They desire to serve and not to be served. The same will be true of you when you catch a glimpse of the glory and when you catch a glimpse of the grace of Jesus Christ. See, it'll change the way you serve because it changes you. It changes you. This morning, the truth is the Lord expects you to serve in His church. The truth is the Lord has gifted you to serve in His church. And if you don't know what your spiritual gifting is, man, let me know. Call our office. We'll get you a spiritual gift test. And it's not 100%. It'll help get you down the path to figure out what your spiritual gift is. Because I can tell you right now, my spiritual gift's not mercy. I, like, got negative scores in that area of spiritual gift. Jan, I think you're the same way. It doesn't mean we don't have any mercy, I guess. It's just the lowest part of our spiritual gifting. And I don't know why I'm telling you that. You know, you think I'm a heartless, careless person. I really love people. But uh, sometimes I just want to say, suck it up and get going. I mean, that's... People come for counsel, I'm like, we got sin in your life. Let's deal with the sin. <laughs> I mean, the, uh, this morning, I was actually praying about this. Lord, help me to be more empathetic. Just help me to be more empathetic. I remember I was going to the dump yesterday, and I was listening to someone preaching on the, on the, on the radio, and, and it was quoting out of 1 Corinthians. And then, ironically, this morning, my devotion, I was reading out of 1 Corinthians 13. He who can prophesy and do all these things, but he doesn't have love. He's nothing. So I was just praying through that. Just praying through that. But everyone has a spiritual gift. God expects you to use your spiritual gift in the church. And not only does he expect you to use it, not only has he given it to you, but he's empowered you to serve and use that gift in the church. And so let me share with you some ways, some practical ways, real quick, that you can serve in our church today. Because we've got some needs. And so this morning, I didn't want to just give you theory and say, all right, now, I think you should serve. I want to take it a step further and say, these are some practical, tangible pressing needs that you can serve in today. So, in our, uh, in our halls on both sides, you should be able to find a little brochure like, like this. It says ministry and service teams. And in this, it shares all about our ministry team. Some of these you probably never knew we even had. Ministry teams like the baptism team. I mean, the baptism, baptismal doesn't fill itself and it doesn't heat itself, nor does it clean itself. 
It was warm this morning, so I'm still sweating from being in the baptistry. So thank you, Clyde, for that, for making me sweat. I felt like I was at John Tanner's house in the hot lake. Most of you didn't get that. That's fine. Um, bereavement team, cemetery records team. There's a fun one. Uh, but it's necessary. I mean, Rick does a lot of that, I believe. I shouldn't. I'm, it's not encouraging if I'm making fun of the teams. I'm just... Anyway, ADD going off. I have that sometimes. Food pantry, ESL. I mean, they work every single week on Wednesdays. Communion teams. And when we do the Lord's Supper, I mean, people help put that stuff together. Homeless ministry team goes out uh, on the first Saturday of, the second Saturday of each month, I should say. Uh, we got folks that go down to the juvenile correctional center and, and all these teams that go out. And so sometimes you don't even know what's going on. Here's a way for you to know the ministry teams and how you can get involved and who's the leader of those particular teams. Right now, you can get involved in, in, in serving within our small groups. I mean, we need small group leaders. We're always looking to birth new classes. We need assistant teachers, assistant leaders. In your small groups, your leaders uh, know that they should be organizing and leading their groups so that there are care groups. So there's opportunities for you to serve within the small group, care groups and outreach leaders and, and all kinds of ways. You can be the person who takes the role, as simple as that. In our children's ministry, Right now, we are looking, Jennifer is looking, and our team is looking for co-leaders in small groups for the ages of pre-K and K, first through third grade, as well as fourth and fifth. So all of our age groups and our kids' ministry, we need co-leaders in those classes. We need two helpers needed in the infant room during our small group time to rotate through there. We need pre-K kids' church leaders, so those who are going to work with the younger kids at this time during the church service. So you don't have to do it every week. Get on a rotation and serve once a month, twice a month in our kids' church area. We're kicking off Team Kid here in just a couple weeks on Sunday evenings. And so Jennifer is looking for a game leader to lead the game time for Team Kid. She's looking for two helpers also to serve in various areas during Team Kid. There are three nursery helpers that are needed during worship. So we need people to watch our kids. I mean... If a new family comes and visits our church and they've got, I don't know, five-year-old and a four-year-old and a three-year-old and a one-year-old, they're busy, right? And they come in here and they got kids squirming around and they're like worms on the floor. They, they're distracted the whole time. And so when we have an opportunity to take those kids from them and put them downstairs where they're going to be changed and fed and played with and hugged and, and rocked and whatever and take naps and all that stuff, it frees those parents up to be able to worship, to be able to take in all that God wants for them here. So nursery workers, you are perhaps with the most vital worker in the entire church. Because young families won't hear a word I say in my preaching if they got to wrestle their kids the whole time. So you think, well, that's a thankless job. I ain't going to do that. No, that's probably the most important job in our entire church. Maybe even more important than what I'm doing. Because if people aren't listening, and you've been on the airplane, you've been in a restaurant where kids are going crazy, you can't concentrate on anything else. And so not only is it disturbing the parents, it's disturbing everyone around them. So we need nursery helpers during worship. We need a, a nursery helper during Team Kid so that our workers who are serving in Team Kid, who have young kids, can drop their kids off and be able to serve in that area. Jennifer's looking down the road for a nursery coordinator who can kind of coordinate all the things going on with our nursery on a Sunday morning, on Wednesday or Sunday night, and kind of take that off her shoulders uh, we need three to four helpers for good news clubs that will start back in September in um, one of our elementary schools. I believe it's Pocahontas is where we have our good news club. And so we need some people to come alongside and, and help on a Thursday or Tuesday afternoon when they do that. And help Jennifer to take the gospel and to build it into the lives of kids. Hospitality team, there's areas for you to serve there. We're looking for two greeters who can serve in the parking lot or stand at the doors or work at the tent. Various ways. Uh, there's committee. Most of our committees are full for this upcoming year, but we've got a couple holes in, in a couple areas. And so if someone's asked you to serve in a committee and you said no, reconsider. Reconsider. We could use your help. Worship. We've got room for you to serve in our worship ministry. You can sing in the choir. If you play an instrument, we need you to, to help. And we need you to serve in our media team. There's no reason that those people have to serve <clears throat> week in and week out. We could easily be on a rotation system with our tech team if we had enough people to serve in those areas on a given Sunday. 
And so find a place to serve. You say, I don't know how to do those things. We'll train you. We'll teach you to do it. And most of sound guys, they just pretend in a way. They just push knobs. I'm kidding. That's a, that's a little satire thing I read this couple weeks ago. It's funny, though. There's something about, you know, the worship team asked the sound guy to, to turn something up or to tweak some monitor, and he's just like, whatever. He's just turning buttons, pretending like he knows what he's doing. No, we'll train you to do what you need to do. Evangelism. Uh, man, we need more people. Our small group, group leaders should help us in this in a great way, but even past them, we need people who co- would come alongside and every single week go out and visit people who've, who come and, and, and are a guest at our church. We need you, all of you, to be a personal evangelist. You say, I don't know what kind of spiritual gift I have. I don't know how I could serve in a church. I know something every single one of you could do. Share your faith with the person next to you. Share your faith with the person that's checking you out at Walmart. Share your faith with the person that you pay money to on a a weekly basis at the gas station. Share the gospel with the person who lives next to your house. Be a personal evangelist. Invite people to come to church with you. We can all serve in all sorts of ways. The truth is, it really just comes down to our want to. So this morning, how's your serve? Truth is, our church will only be as strong as our weakest servant. So this morning, let's improve our serve. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for the opportunity that you have given us to serve. God, we don't look at it as drudgery. We don't look at it as um, something to be avoided, something to be uh, seen as, as kind of a waste of time. God, we look at it as Paul viewed it. It's us forsaking ourselves for the sake of someone else in order to build the gospel into their life. So Lord, I pray that those who serve in our church have been encouraged this morning. Not to pat themselves on the back, not to say, wow, look at what I'm doing, but to simply be encouraged to know that they're playing a part in the gospel work being done through this church. So, Lord, those who stand out in the parking lot and help people find the front door, those who greet people at the welcome tent, those who will sing in the choir and play musical instrument, those who are serving in the nursery and leading a small group, those who help fix food on a Wednesday night are all playing a part in the gospel work being done here at Red Lane Baptist Church. So, Lord, I pray for those who are sitting on the sideline that they would stand up and walk down to the field and God I'm not trying to be cliche but Lord I would I pray that they would literally have the heart where they would say to you put me in coach God give us a heart for service give us a humble loving generous sacrificial heart for service truth is Lord the reason some people don't serve is because they've never been changed by the glory and grace of Jesus Christ so my prayer today is this that if that's true of any man any woman regardless of age but this morning that that would be made so evident to them where they couldn't even walk out of this room without first giving their life to Jesus God, I pray that the men in this church would quit white-knuckling it and that today would be a breakthrough in their life. Lord, so many Sundays I I sense that you're moving in the hearts of men in our church and and yet I I firmly believe they are just gripped upon the pew in front of them and they're saying no to your spirit. God, I pray this morning they would let go. And for the first time in their life, say yes to you. Spirit, our hearts are here and our hearts are ready. God, our yes is on the table. So in this time of invitation, save the lost, encourage the church, and be glorified. We pray in the name of Jesus.